This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. Isn't Wikipedia already a DAO? Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just like the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. Web3 is something that does not exist yet. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder... Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, everybody. This is Opinionated. I'm Ben Schiller, features editor here at Coindesk. It's New Year. It's 2022. How are you guys? Anna Bedikova in Moscow and Danny Nelson. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm actually in Utah now that it's uh, 2022. So fun times. Are you skiing or something like that? Absolutely. There's yeah, a, it it like just fun. snowed almost 100 inches here in Utah. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Forecast it was really looking good at the end of December. So I'm, I'm, we're going all in on that right now. Is it freezing in Moscow, Anna? Yeah, quite a bit. I would say today's an especially freezing day. Let me check in Fahrenheit. It's one degree. Oh, my God. I mean, even your screen is freezing. <laughs> yeah, my internet is like literally freezing all the time. All right, so we're going to get into the hot, hot topics already in 2022, and we're going to discuss actually something that Jack Dorsey, who's the uh, previous CEO of Twitter and a big fan of Bitcoin, something he said on Twitter before Christmas, which is to say that the Web3 revolution, which we're now living through, I think, is actually a capitalist revolution. It's a venture capitalist run affair and belies some of the rhetoric of Web3 being the ownership internet and uh, something for everybody. It's basically being bought up by uh, massive VC firms like Andreessen Horowitz, and it's not really a democratic thing. What did you make of this, Danny? Do you agree with him or uh, do you think Web3 is something different from Web2 and Web1? Well, first off, let's talk about what Web2 and Web1 are. I mean, I was a little too young to really understand Web1, but Web3, in my understanding, is the idea that the internet is pivoting towards a user-owned model. And that's something that crypto and this idea of self-custody and digital ownership is well-positioned to enable. I would say Web3 is also about decentralization. In this sense, it barely exists at this point. It's in the early building stage, I would say. Let Danny uh, finish his point. No, no, no. I, I want to understand like what Web3 is. Well, so I guess the core idea of this concept is that is decentralization and Web3 is something that does not exist yet. So in the building stage that it is now, maybe it is really owned by VCs and crypto big pockets. But I guess the idea is that once it's built, once it's ready, that it won't belong to anyone. It will belong to everybody. We cover this space all the time, of course. We're writing about these gigantic fundraising efforts. Last year, I was writing about a project, a decentralized project called the Render Network that allows people to render 3D animation across a decentralized computer base. And the the funding was coming from some of the biggest names in crypto investing. What are they buying here? They're not buying equity. They're buying governance tokens that allow them to engage in and also vote on the course of the network. So the question that I have is, how much influence do they have? 
And I think it, it varies from project to project. Like you can have networks like Solana, where 48% of the governance tokens are owned by the team and venture firms and the protocol company Solana Labs. So that means that 48% of the tokens are controlled by the people with a vested interest in establishing, maintaining, and proliferating the network. That's a massive amount right there. And you compare that to Ethereum, where at least at the beginning, 80% of it was sold to the public. I haven't looked into who actually bought ETH tokens in the presale, but it was decentralized from the get-go. And now you have all these different layer ones who are trying to build a decentralized internet that is user-owned. Web3 is the buzzword now. But you have to ask, who actually has the control here? And it looks like Ben does not have the control here because he has left the chat. <laughs> it's true. Let's hope he gets back. Actually, what happened to Ben? A16Z heard that he was about to do an epic smackdown. And just like Anna's internet connection, they iced him. Uh, <laughs> we Let's keep going. Go? Let's keep it going. I actually think it's really hard to prevent, you know, this oligarchy problem that in any network that has real value, you will have the whales that have disproportionately bigger influence on the situation than others. I'm not sure about Ethereum. I'm, I believe that some funds also have quite a large stashes of ETH. Oh, for sure. Ether itself is not a governance token. So, you know, just owning Ethereum does not mean wielding some tangible power, even though we'll see. Well, some people are richer and they wield more power with what they have. It's the same in any kind of world in the Web3. It will be the same. If these VCs can buy a lot of tokens, well, they will be having these tokens and leveraging them. You're bringing a, uh, a post-Soviet mindset to the idea of oligarchy right here. No, <laughs> Isn't that helpful? No, I think it's very helpful. I think that you're probably the subject matter expert, at least in here, in understanding. But then like with the quadratic voting, again, I'm a professional in talking out of my ass, as I think we all are. I won't begin to understand what quadratic voting is other than to, to say it's a mechanism to correct an over-influence by certain groups. Exactly. Instead of saying, in the United States, we have a democracy and everyone has one, one person, one vote. Well, of course, we also, I guess, have some elements of redistributing power to smaller entities, like in the Senate, where you have senators representing Delaware, a very small state, and they have as much power as California, a very big state. But whenever you introduce these quadratic voting mechanisms or stuff like that, it leaves me thinking, well, why do you need to have this? Why do you need to have this sort of correction mechanism to redistribute the power? If you need to do it, then that means that there's something wrong with just letting things play out. And if there's something wrong with just letting things play out, then I, it leaves me thinking, oh, well, who stands to really have the control here? But then you also shouldn't be bothered that some VCs or whatnot uh, just have much more governance tokens or what you will and have more power. You know, it's just a natural thing to do and you just deal with it. I guess it's a matter of framing, right? Like if the message of Web3 is that this is the user-owned internet, but you also have a situation where the VCs own 
all the projects and have massive influential stakes in their direction such that our individual voting power is always going to be diluted unless and until we ourselves are whales, right? But if you have single entities that really can call the shots, then I think it's disingenuous to emphasize Web3 being some sort of user-owned internet, even if it does mean stuff like, like with ENS domains, okay, well, you have custody over your .eth. That's one example of, of the Web3 ethos. You know, it's still such a buzzy word. It's hard for me to fully describe it. I can't help but think that there's a bit of a bait and switch in all of these technological movements. I am actually old enough to remember Web1, and I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. Exactly. I, I, I was saying to my wife the other day, I remember <laughs> when uh, stamps were one cent, uh, 55 cents or something. So um, anyway, yeah, you know, Microsoft was a cool company, and then it became this big, bad, sort of monopolistic horrible company in the 90s. And the same with Google. It was this cool company and then became this Goliath. Didn't help that they dropped the don't be evil thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that was only the, the start. I mean, uh, then they got into bed with the Chinese or whatever. Then we had the original internet and that was supposed to be this economic democracy and it turned out not to be. And then Web 2 was supposed to be this seed of all these revolutions in the Middle East. Remember when they used to call them Facebook revolutions and Twitter revolutions? And that all went sort of belly up. And it seems to be the same thing now with Web3. Everyone's saying it's this democratic revolution. We're giving back ownership and power to the user. And exactly the same game is playing out. It seems to be a bait and switch in the sense of we're going to bring everyone in by talking up this mass market movement. And then we're going to say the same old guys in Silicon Valley are going to own the whole thing. And that's exactly what's happening now with Andreessen Horowitz and actually with our own company, um, you know, DCG, which has a, you know, outsized stake in this industry. Not that I have a problem with that, but let's not say that it's a democratic movement when uh, you have some very powerful companies and very powerful individuals controlling a lot of uh, interests. It's critical that we don't get to a point where single entities are, you know, have outsized influence. Yeah. I'm not sure though, if it's not democratic to have bigger players with bigger pockets. My point is that it happens in every possible world. When we have Web3, another problem with us today is that we're discussing something highly hypothetical that doesn't exist yet, and we don't know what it will be like when it does exist. What's undemocratic about some people getting richer and more powerful? So you don't think the Web3 exists already? I mean, we have a, a two point five trillion dollar crypto industry. I mean, you don't think that exists in some way? Depends on what do we mean by Web3? Like, do we have social networks, like information sharing networks that do not rest in centralized servers? If we do, I'm not using them and I'm not aware of the options. Web3 started as a financial revolution. It's, it's about transferring value. And what people would say now is that the principles of crypto are now being applied to other categories, such as gaming or artwork, as, as we saw with this NFT phenomenon. And it's sort of slowly bleeding out into other fields. But to say it's not happening, I think that's a bit... It's in the early stage of being built. The value sharing networks like Bitcoin are getting pretty mature at this point. But if we talk about other things being decentralized, like user-owned, I just think that's a long road ahead. I mean, I think this was a very much a kind of VC discussion. So, I mean, 
all of these kind of investments will probably play out in two or three years once these companies get built. And this is a discussion between Jack and his VC brethren about whether, you know, this is really a kind of broad-based movement or just sort of a Silicon Valley thing. I think maybe another kind of interesting data point is during the ICO boom, which was in 2017, 2018, a lot of people said, well, these ICOs are going to obviate the need for VCs at all. And then uh, a lot of these ICOs went tits up and the VCs kind of came in and they kept their place in the ecosystem. So in a way, this whole argument has already played out and been found to be false anyway. Yeah. And what are all these token raises now, if not just private ICOs by another name? One of the results of that uh, ICO bust was that now, well, at least in the US and in some countries either, like you cannot do a just open retail token sale to everyone. Like it's really not that easy. So it's easier for you to sell a big batch of tokens to a VC and get funding from, you know, institutional finance than to go out to public and sell tokens to everyone. It got even more skewed towards mainstream finance. Yeah. I just want to say something about Andreessen Horowitz, because I think that they're, they're an unusually powerful company in this arena. I think if you look back to Web 1 and, and Web 2, there were not companies like Andreessen having so much sway. And I was looking the other day at uh, some statistics about NFTs, and it seems like Andreessen has something like a third of the investments in VC-backed NFT projects. So, I mean, that's an extraordinary sort of concentration of power in a very important part of this industry. And it's interesting with Andreessen that they're so powerful now and they made a lot of money from Coinbase that they've set up their own media arm and they don't talk very readily to media outlets like Coindesk or even Fortune and those mainstream outlets because they have their own media outlet. And it's, it's interesting how they've sort of created their own sort of world of not only investment, but also commentary on that investment such that they're not necessarily accountable to anybody. So that, that's interesting. And maybe a new thing from the last Web 2 and, and Web 1. And, you know, according to themselves, as Ben, you've pointed out before the show, they think very much so that people like the U.S. citizens are only going to become more caring about the topics that they're investing in. There was this survey that they did late last year that estimated or uh, prognosticated, this might be my preferred way of saying it, that every candidate for a major office in the upcoming midterms is going to have to take a position on Web3. Hmm. Ben, what do you think about that survey? I think it's interesting when you're trying to make a policy statement like this and put out a press release, you can kind of get whatever fallacious statistics you want to back up your idea. And I think the press release you're talking about, which we will post with this episode, was saying things like, 79% of registered voters in their online survey said that they would vote only for candidates with strong Web3 positions, which... Who were sounds... those respondents? It's like they only polled like New York, LA, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, they only did an online survey. And online surveys are, from my friends who work in the polling industry, crap. Online yeah. surveys, <laughs> you're already selecting... You're not going to get old people, which are the people that are really the actual voters in this country, participating in an online survey. You're going to cut out certain groups. You're going to automatically skew your sample size. And so there, if you're asking internet users a question about the future of the internet, well, sure, that's going to be probably a representative of what internet users think about the future of the internet. And of course, most people are internet users. 
but you're already heavily skewing based on your topic, which yeah. is absurd. Morning Consult is a real polling firm, I believe. I've certainly heard of it before. They know what they're doing. A16Z, they're smart people. They know what they're doing. I struggle to think that they didn't just come with these priors. It's like, okay, let's find out well, how much people believe in this. I don't think they cooked the books, but the books have been cooked by the sample size. Well, just to be clear here, it was conducted by Morning Consult, which is a basically reliable online survey company. They interviewed, it says here, 2,191 registered voters in the United States online between uh, December 1 and December 3. I think the cooking of the books happens actually in the questions that they ask. That's of, true too. Um, readers, they'll ask things like, do you want a more open internet or do you want a, an internet where you have more ownership of your digital stuff? Who in their right mind would ever disagree with that statement about having a more sort of open ownership version of the internet? Of course, you're going to say yes. And then you can kind of cook it up into a statistic and say that all these candidates in these elections need to take care of crypto. And then when you're prefacing that question of like, you care about Web3 with, with statements like, do you agree with the statement that, quote, this is a real question they ask, crypto allows people a chance at generational wealth that, that may not have previously been offered. Well, you're already emphasizing a single point of view. So it doesn't really matter if you're asking them their specific opinion on a matter, you're already influencing it. I mean, I think this says less about what actually voters think or what candidates might do in the midterms. It says more about what a company like Andreessen Horowitz is doing to play the kind of Washington game and to cook up a, a survey like this and put out a press release about it, saying it, it says this big thing about electoral politics in the United States is a classic play of a company trying to reach for influence in DC and they're playing this bullshit game. So I think that's the real takeaway here. And they're going to bring something like this with them on their visits to Washington. Exactly. Down with the VCs. I have no problem with Andreessen Horowitz or, or VCs in general. And I, I always thought this kind of anti-VC rhetoric of Web3 was a bit puerile. And I think the problem really here is, is about expectations that people expect something to be different when it's always the same, you know, each time. <laughs> full on us. We thought 2021 would be different than 2020. Well, that didn't uh, work uh, out. Uh, we th then we think yeah. the same about 2022. Let's hope it doesn't get worse, okay? <laughs> now, I lowered my expectations to the, to the minimum. <laughs> I, I'm just hoping it's not getting worse at this yeah. point. Having said that, I, I do think there are some aspects of Web3 that are genuinely more democratic than previous web revolutions. I mean, I think a DAO, for instance, as much as we might malign the idea, uh, is a genuinely democratic idea. And if that structure, that corporate structure becomes more common, that will be a big innovation from this Web3 movement. It is, but I haven't yet seen an example of a DAO really a working, like a spontaneous DAO, which it seems is the new fad, like with Constitution now working. Like there's this one called Blimp DAO that has come up in recent days around the idea that we're going to buy a blimp. Well, it's actually a Zeppelin because the blimps don't really exist anymore. They're all Zeppelins. And this idea is going up like the freaking Hindenburg, okay? I mean, these guys that are doing it, I've spoke to them. I said, okay, so wait, what are you going to do with the money? Oh, we're going to buy a blimp. What's it for? Oh, it's for our business. What's the business? We're going to sell ads on our blimp. Um, and so then I asked, I, I framed the question. So what would you say if someone asked you, 
are you just crowdfunding from people so that you could buy a blimp? He said, oh, that's not incorrect. So who owns the blimp? He owns the blimp. What's he going to do with it? He's going to run a company of using the blimp. So now what does it mean to be a DAO? It doesn't mean shit. He just owns a blimp. How'd he buy it? He bought it by, you know, crowdfunding. So, you know, that's one example, but I've yet to see like something like that doesn't make me too bullish on the ideas of DAOs. Now, Mike Dudas, bless his soul, is trying to organize a DAO to buy a golf course. And there are things like Google Docs and community calls. And I'm interested to see what way that goes, but I haven't yet been able to shake the idea that a white man wants to own golf course. Uh, and so organizes DAO to make it happen. I can't shake that feeling quite yet. Why a golf course? Why, of all things, why a golf course? It's the democratizing <laughs> force, Anna. Get with the program. <laughs> so I think it's a little yeah. bit simplistic and a little bit racist uh, against uh, poor old Mike Dudas. So whatever he wants to buy a golf course, good luck to him. And it's, it is a free world. So, Danny um, Nelson, racist against well, white people. We, we actually talked about that with our executive editor, Mark Hoxstein. And he was like, you know, it's a sign of completely losing the plot. Like, you know, why raise enormous sums of money for completely pointless things? Like even buying the constitution in the sense of, you know, the buying this irrationally expensive, I mean, ancient document. But you raised so much money, like it could go to fund so many useful things, you know, like, I, I don't know, like kids in need of expensive surgical operations or the climate. Exactly. What is the point of all this? What is the point of the DAO? Is the point of the DAO a fancy new way to uh, help people get rich? You can't invalidate the whole idea of a DAO just because Mike fucking Dudas is building a golf course or buying a golf course. I mean, that's... <laughs> you can't invalidate the whole idea of getting rich either, I would say. No, but I, I'm wondering, like, what's the point? What's the bigger point? Is there a bigger point? And if the point is we're going to collective action to pump our bags, I mean, that is itself a point. Is that yeah. a point that really makes DAOs something new and different? Sorry, but this whole Web3 idea is would be nothing without the speculative incentive here. That's why For everybody sure. is here. It's, it's only us uh, journalists sitting on the sidelines complaining about our relatively paltry uh, bank <laughs> if accounts. If not us. They care who? about all this other stuff. Everyone else cares about getting rich here. So We're, having, us, we're having fun staying poor. Yeah, exactly. So I always have a problem when people say, oh, it's just about getting rich. Well... It is just about getting rich, and hopefully it's a bit about some other things at the same time. Well, well, yes, so what are the other things? Just to take the opposite side of the case here, I do think there are aspects of Web3 that are genuinely more egalitarian than Web2 and Web1. And I think we are sort of wise to the fact that there is a sort of winner-takes-all dynamic in these technological movements. And at least we're going into this one, Web3, with our eyes open, and we're having these discussions sort of halfway through the, the, the movement. Whereas before with Web2, it was kind of after the fact that we suddenly realized that Facebook basically owned the internet uh, and Google owned the internet. And it, and it was only sort of five or six years after that happened that we realized that at least now we can see that, you know, Web3 is maybe not the, the thing that we, we thought it might be. And we might need to guard against the centralization or the re-centralization of power around these venture capital companies. There's that. But what are the more egalitarian aspects? Well, the fact that you own stuff in, in the form of an NFT or in form of a token uh, that allows you to do various things within these blockchain communities that gives you more stake in those games than 
you know, just being an internet user where you're just an ID and a, a collection of personal data on, in someone's database. I mean, you know, when you own a token, at least you own something in, in the kind of functioning of that network. I do, but I think it is worth something. But my question is, is my belief that my ownership will amount to any um, influence? Is that ignorant of, of the reality of the situation that I, as an individual, am meaningless in the face of these entities that own so much and can sway things one way or the other? I think it's more meaningful than, than a shareholder meeting. I mean, if you own like five shares in Exxon and you go to their annual shareholder meeting, I mean, good luck. <laughs> good luck getting them to change their climate policy. I mean, you know, you have absolutely no say in the matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the whole matter of our discussion is in the future, and it will be a really interesting to see models with various purposes. And I hope there will be more interesting purposes than buying something expensive together. We should start a DAO. We should, I'm serious. We should start a DAO. We should start a DAO and we should chronicle it on this podcast. We should have a little segment, 10 minutes at the end of every show. Let's like checking in on the DAO. Let's see what happens. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I have absolutely no time for that, but that's a great <laughs> idea. Quite seriously, I think we will begin to see DAOs this year in 2022 for media companies, I, I strongly believe that. And I think it's, it's kind of a perfect setup for somebody to create a um, media company around. Isn't Wikipedia already a DAO? Not, not technically, no. Why not? Because there's no token? It's a decentralized autonomous community of individuals building resources and it's the eighth biggest website. It is in a way, in a sense, a fiat DAO. It is. Well, I mean, there's no money involved. I think Wikipedia is the most pure representation of a DAO are the most like idealistic driven. These people don't have a financial incentive to do it. Sure, there's a Wikimedia Foundation that, but they're a registered nonprofit. They take donations, whatever the internet tosses their way to you know work on this full time. But for the most part, these articles are written by subject matter experts who just kind of collectively pour their efforts into something. But they have no formal stake in the entity. But do you need a formal stake? Do you need a token to have a DAO? There well, is also like no governance structure. Surely in order to be a DAO, in the modern sense, you have to have some kind of token issue that is distributed amongst the members. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think we stay tuned for the Wikipedia airdrop. <laughs> no, Absolutely. Let, let's get a DAO. Everybody drop ideas of what kind of DAO we should run. I do think that we ran an op-ed just before Christmas by this guy. Uh, he's a Brazilian central bank researcher, and he was likening DeFi to a vending machine that was collectively owned by everybody who visits that machine. And I thought that was quite a good analogy for what's going on on some of these DeFi networks. They're not DAOs, but you do have an ownership stake which accrues over time because more people are participating in that network. And that, that surely is a more democratic idea than somebody getting a group of programmers together to build a service on a web two platform and then monetizing it through a VC uh, exit. I mean, you know, it, it's not a perfect world, but it's, it's getting somewhere closer to it. Agree. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. And if 2022 is anything like 2021, I think we're in for a bumper feast of controversy and story making. Looking forward to seeing how this plays out and whether to this Web3 uh, phenomenon really is a democratic revolution or whether it's just the same old rich old farts getting all the money. My money's on that. So much things to watch. So much to watch. Whoever wins, it'll be interesting to watch to see what happens. 
Anyway, that was uh, Anna Bedakova from Very Cold Moscow. And still warm here. That was Danny Nelson from Utah, I think. In something like that. And we'll see you next time and have a good new year, guys. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Batakova, and Danny Nelson. Today's show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau, with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? We would love to hear from you, so please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>